Thank you for listening to City Church Podcast. We hope you find this message helpful. And at the same time, it is important to us that you know podcasts should not be a substitute for the flesh and blood people of the church. Church is more than sermons. If you aren't a part of a local church, we would love to help you find one in your area. Please don't hesitate to email us at sermons at borocitychurch.com. That's sermons at borocitychurch.com. We would be happy to help. Thank you for listening. I pray that you would speak through your word. I pray that you would open the minds and the hearts of those here. Allow them to receive what you may be telling them. And Lord, if it is difficult, I pray that you give them the strength uh, to receive it. Lord, these things we just ask in your name. Amen. So, throughout history, we've been introduced to the stories of people who have not wanted to die. It supposedly drove explorers like Juan Ponce de Leon to explore this realm of the hemisphere. You've got musical artists like Oasis, Kane Brown, Drew Holcomb, The Highwaymen, and Juice World, and Queen. They all sang songs about wanting to live forever. And half of those people are no longer with us, so I guess they didn't really know much about living forever. We see the desire for immorality culminated in my family's favorite series of books that were turned into blockbuster movies, Harry Potter. In the final book, in the final two movies, it becomes evident that the evil wizard in the books, Lord Voldemort, tried to immortalize himself by dividing his soul into several parts and hiding them in various places. It seems that for quite a long time, humans have been enthralled by the thoughts of eternal life. This idea even carries on to thoughts of people today. Scripture speaks to that as well. We have an account in the book of Mark that shows us Jesus' response to what it takes to gain eternal life. Jesus is approached by a man who's got a lot going for him. He's young, successful, wealthy, and honorable by all we can see. He's basically like the crypto bro of their day, except for like a few weeks ago, not the last couple of weeks. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, this is the type of guy that like, you think Jesus would want on his team, but he desires something that he doesn't have. He desires eternal life. There's something within him that alerts him that even though he has many things, he lacks something big. So he seeks it out. He goes to Jesus to find his answer. Look with me at this text to see what Jesus says about eternal life. We'll be in Mark chapter 10 this morning. Uh, starting in verse 17. And there are Bibles in the back. If you don't have a Bible and want one, feel free to grab one. They're on us. If you uh, don't, you know, you can follow along on the, on the screen. Follow along on your phone, Bible you got in your lap, whatever. But we're looking at Mark 10, verse 17. It says, As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things up from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. 
But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. So, to start, the first point of, of my sermon today is to look to Christ for the answer. Mark starts this passage by referencing and reminding us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and on his way to the cross. This young man finds him along his way and runs and falls at his, his feet, either at, out of respect or humility or flattery. Look into Jesus' reaction. He takes it as a sign of respect or reverence as the scripture tells us that Jesus felt a love for him. This man is of Jewish descent, and like a good Jew, he knows the teachings of Judaism and that they require obedience to the law. But somewhere along the way, he's likely been exposed to the teachings of Jesus. And these teachings have shown him that there's more to it than just mere obedience to the law. That's not enough, and he comes to Jesus to find the answer. So the man, he comes and he calls Jesus good. In, in Jewish thought, you would only refer to God as good. So when he applies this title to Christ, it begs the question, why do you call me good? Christ points it back to God and says that he's the one who's good. Jesus' purpose was not to draw attention to himself, but rather to draw attention to God. For God is the one who saves, heals, forgives, restores, and gives eternal life. Next, he points into the commandments. His focus is on the latter portion of the Ten Commandments. And these commandments re relate to how, they focus on how we relate to one another. They're, they're a little more tangible. You can look and see if they're being upheld. Uh, there's, there's a way to find evidence of obedience in this portion of the Ten Commandments. The man, probably in an interrupting fashion, states to Christ that, He's kept the commandments since his youth. By using the term youth, he, he likely means since his bar mitzvah. This is when a Jewish male takes on the responsibilities of following the law. You know, here Christ doesn't question whether it's true or not. He, he rather asked him to do something more. He asked him something that will attest to his obedience to God. Jesus asked the man to give up all that he owns so he can follow Christ. And this saddens the man. This saddens him because he had many things and did not want to give them up. This saddens the man because Jesus is shattering his idol. Like Lord Voldemort, when Harry, Ron, and Hermione start destroying Horcruxes, this man is seeing what he truly wanted escape his grasp because he's being exposed. Jesus has found the one thing that is holding back this man from God. Jesus has a way of doing that. He has a way of putting his finger on the pulse of a person and finding things that keep us from God. He has a way of pointing out in us what truly needs to change. The words that he used here in the passage for much property, it likely refers to his estate or inheritance. He was probably very secure in the provision that his wealth gave him. This command that Christ gave this rich man shattered his dreams of eternal life because he was unwilling to sacrifice what he had in order to follow Christ. The man, he kept his possessions in this world and, and he may have lost his life. One cannot serve both God and things. 
As the early church father Jerome put it, this is why those who are rich find it hard to enter the kingdom of heaven. For it is a kingdom which desires for its citizens a soul that soars aloft, free from all ties and hindrances. For the rich young ruler, it was his wealth that hindered him. This is such a sad occurrence to me because he started out right. He started out coming correct to Christ. He went to Christ pursuing the answer for what would give him eternal life. He was even given the answer to the question that he asked. He was given a call to discipleship. The call to discipleship does not constitute an additional obligation in life, but, but rather it judges and replaces. It subordinates all obligations and allegiances to the one who says, follow me. If salvation is of God and not of the believer, is such a sacrifice necessary? It is, for whatever is given away will be repaid many times over. This is not a general call to all Christians to live a life of poverty. For some people, other things may need to be given up in order to be obedient to God. Some may need to give up a particular vocation because it stands in the way of Christian growth and value to the home and family. Some may need to give up a they may need to give up a particular lifestyle that is dishonoring to God. Some may have to give up things that they are passionate about because that passion gets in the way of their devotion to Christ. For some, it may be a particular relationship that is getting in the way of your relationship with Christ. Discipleship is costly. It involves sacrifice, obedience, and following the example of Jesus. The greatest enemies to faith and obedience are self-satisfaction and pride, and nothing removes those bulwarks more effectively than poverty. Derek Webb gives a good modern-day version of the rich young ruler in the lyrics to his song by the same name. It says, Poverty is so hard to see when it's only on your TV and 20 miles across town. We're all living so good that we moved out of Jesus' neighborhood where he's hungry and not feeling so good from going through our trash. He says, more than your cash and coin, I want your time, I want your voice. I want the things you just can't give me. So what must we do? Here in the West, we want to follow you. We speak the language and we keep all the rules, even a few we made up. Come on and follow me. Sell your house, sell your SUV, Sell your stocks, sell your security, and give it to the poor. What is this? Hey, what's the deal? I don't sleep around, and I don't steal. I want the things you just can't give me. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the rich young ruler. If you ran up to God and asked what you needed to give up for eternal life, what might he ask you to give up? He would ask you to give up whatever hinders you from following him. He would want you to give up whatever idol you have in your life, what you value more than him. He would smash that idol right in front of you like he did the rich young ruler. He would want you to give it up and to repent. True obedience to the law can only be rendered in discipleship to Jesus. And unless obedience to the law leads to discipleship with Jesus, it is incomplete 
futile. The rich man needed to repent. He needed to repent for his greater love of riches than his love for God. What is that for you? What do you need to repent from? It doesn't necessarily have to be bad, just wrongly placed higher than God, higher than your love for God. We're going to pick back up in uh, verse 23. It says, And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With people it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. My next point is that our eternal life is expensive. This portion of the scripture is kind of like an aside in a play or a movie. Jesus had to explain things to the disciples and to the audience, to us. So they get in their disciple huddle and he gives them a little more instruction. He tells them why he called the play he did with the rich young ruler. He gives the explanation because in the Jewish thought, Wealth was a sure sign of blessing. Surely, God had favored this man because he had so much in earthly blessing. Jesus tells the disciple here that it's really difficult for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. His teaching was revolutionary in its time and still probably remains a little bit scandalous in a period where prosperity gospel is, is prevalent. It's not wrong to have money or wealth, but rather it's difficult to rely on God if one is wealthy. See, what riches do is they provide a a false sense of security and make it difficult to radically trust in God. Great wealth can hinder us and tempt us to not put our trust entirely on God. In verse 24, it states that it is really difficult for all who enter the kingdom of heaven even if you're not rich. He takes it a step further. He lets the disciples know that it's not only the rich who have difficulty entering heaven. All will find it difficult to enter heaven. Jesus illustrates this by using what seems to be, to us, a really obscure saying. Much has been theorized and made of what Jesus meant by that statement. I choose to take it the simplest way. That's kind of how I am simple. I'll look at it the simplest way. The camel was one of the largest Palestinian animals, and the eye of the needle is one of the smallest openings known to man. So literally, it would be impossible for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. So to me, it's clearly meant to illustrate that it's impossible for man to enter the kingdom of heaven of God by doing anything for themselves. It all hinges on verse 27 in astonishment because the disciples were probably under the idea that they were on the path of inheriting eternal life. They asked Jesus, well, who, hey, who's going to be saved then? And Christ's response is that no one can be saved of their own accord, but it depends completely on God. Absolute trust in God make it possible for a faithful disciple. Christ tells the disciples this, probably firmly planted in his mind is the knowledge 
of the plan that God has for his children, the plan that involves his imminent death. Because of the sin of the disciples and the sin in our lives, we are unable to enter the kingdom of heaven on our own. God gave the law to the Jews and they tried to uphold it. We could try to uphold it too, but ultimately we will fail just as they did. The law was given to expose our inability to live a life worthy of the kingdom. But God sent his son, Jesus, so that he could live a perfect and sinless life. Jesus was killed on the cross for our sin. He bore the wrath that we deserve in order to allow us to enter the kingdom of heaven. None of us are able to do it on our own. We have to have God and we have to have Jesus Christ. Christ knew that he was going to die. He knew that eternal life would be more costly. We're going to pick back up in verse 28. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times much now in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. My final point for today is that you gain so much more than you give up. Peter speaks up for all the disciples. He tells Jesus, hey, wait, wait, we've given up everything to follow you. And truly, the disciples gave up much more than many of us modern-day disciples. They did leave vocations and families behind in order to follow Christ. Christ assures them that their reward for their obedience will be immeasurably more in eternity than what they left behind on earth. This is a truth that does translate to all. All of those who are obedient and forsake all else to follow him will be awarded in eternity, much more than has been given up. I don't think that that means that we'll get a lot of the things that we gave up. Rather, I think that what we will gain, eternity and fellowship with God, is far more valuable than anything that we leave behind for the sake of the gospel and Jesus Christ. Followers must understand that persecutions will accompany the rewards. I think this is a little odd that when Christ said this, that he put persecutions in with the reward. At first glance, to me, it seems like that's, that's partly a punishment. And sometimes I can be a little overzealous like Peter. When I put myself in Peter's shoes, I think that I would have said, wait up, wait up, wait up. So persecutions are part of the reward? This is something that our American context doesn't, like we don't, we know very little about this. When I try to wrap my head around what would make persecution a reward. I think about the persecuted church today. This is probably the only thing that I, I know of today that could be comparable. Our brothers and sisters who live in other lands where they don't have the privilege to worship openly like we do, many of them experience God in deeper ways than we can imagine. 
They give up very much to be able to worship God, but they gain deeper relationship with Him. The remarkable thing about this list in verse 29 is that our most essential and natural relationships and allegiances must be forsaken, all for the call of Christ. Christ must take priority over our possessions, our family, and wealth. Those who have left the things that are described in these verses are promised all these things a hundredfold in the fellowship of the church. We must be willing to sacrifice things that are valuable in order, to, in order for us to experience the discipleship of Christ. This will lead to our reward. It may not seem that we will be rewarded. It may not seem that we will be rewarded, but the believer knows that many who are now first in regard to power and importance will someday be last, and someday those who lack wealth and standing in society will have much in God's kingdom. The kingdom of God topples our priorities and demands new ones of his disciples. We can be downtrodden and persecuted while we're here on earth, but eventually we will be rewarded. God will give those who believe greater blessings than we can experience on earth, but that's in eternity. To conceive of discipleship only in terms of cost and sacrifices is to conceive of it wrongly. It's as if you married a beautiful, smart, God-fearing woman who can cook, but only to think up what you were giving up to marry her. You have gained so much more in a marriage than you could, than your independence could give you. You will have a deeper companionship than you would have ever had otherwise. That is what it's like to give up things to follow Christ. You gain so much more than you could ever lose. There are a few points of application that I'd like for us to put into action for our lives. The first is that we should look to Christ and ask Him to point out areas of our lives that we may need to sacrifice in order to follow Him. For each of us, there's something that hinders our discipleship. There's something that we allow to get in the way of being fully devoted and obedient to Christ. Ask Him to expose that. Pray to God and ask Him to reveal the idols in your life. Ask Him to expose your barriers to discipleship. Next, deny whatever keeps you from following God. Don't be like the rich young ruler. He went to Christ and Christ helped him to identify the thing that was in his life that he needed to change. He needed to do away with, but he didn't follow Christ. He didn't do what was asked of him. At least, not that we can tell by our passage today. If you sincerely want to know what hinders you, God will tell you, but you have a responsibility to deny it. It will not be easy either. It's probably something that will take a major life change in order to remove it from your life. Don't be discouraged. Christ died on the cross so that we could have victory over things on this earth and keep us, that keep us from discipleship. He will give us strength to live an obedient, blessed life. Finally, know that your eternal reward is far greater than anything that you can imagine on earth now. It may seem that what you're giving up and denying on earth is huge to you, but the rewards that God gives His children are so much better. What we have on earth are things that we have thought up for ourselves. They are things that we have invented. They lead us away from what God has created for us. There is a rich place for us in the kingdom of God if we will be obedient 
and pursue God. Come on, pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your, your word. We thank you for the teachings of Christ and how we see how we see ourselves in that. Lord, how we see how we would approach Jesus and, and what Jesus might expose in our lives. Uh, what idol that we might have that needs to be shattered. Lord, I pray that you will continue to work on our hearts, continue to show us, continue to give us a desire to seek you in a way that we seek those things out and try to deny them. Lord, I pray that you give us the strength as a church to rally around each other as we see these things. Help us to encourage and love each other as we try to, to shatter these idols for each other, Lord. These things we just ask in your name.